This is Ivarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. We're pleased to announce the release of the first in a series of TCF-branded e-books for 2015. The Candid Frame on Street Photography is a book in which I share tips and techniques that have helped me to develop as a street photographer. And I'm sharing it with you for free. Just sign up for the Candid Frame mailing list by visiting the website or clicking on the link in the show notes. Get it today, read it, and then get out in the street and start shooting. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. We also have the support of Saberstrip, who with its unique speedlight modifier provides you the ability to transform what's possible with a flash. The Saberstrip's unique tubular design provides a wonderful quality of illumination, ideal for portraiture, macro work, and interiors. See for yourself how great your images can look by visiting saberstrip.com and remember to use the offer code TCF1 to receive a 10% discount. Of all the things that I've achieved over the last 10 years, the thing I'm most proud of are the relationships I've built and maintained. Those friendships have provided me much in terms of support, inspiration, love, and encouragement. Everard Williams and Dennis Keeley have provided me all that and more as I've worked alongside them as an adjunct professor at the Art Center College of Design. I've interviewed each of them individually on previous episodes of the show, but today I sat down with both of them to discuss their new venture together, Acuity Press. It's a unique publishing company that promises to produce quality books of photography, illustrations, and more. What makes it different than traditional publishers is the opportunity it provides artists and illustrators and photographers to create a unique and personal book. But it can also benefit them in a way financially that isn't possible in traditional publishing. Since the conversation revolved around publishing, I started by asking Everard and Dennis what photography books have had the biggest impact on them then and now. We begin with Everard. Probably the first one um, would be Avedon's um, American West. Hmm. I It's probably one of the books I pick up the most frequently just to kind of go back and get a, another another taste because I, I really responded to those images and also in part because my head is wrapped around making images with a large format camera. Um, and another one that I visit actually fairly frequently is Mona Kuhn's first book, um, in part because the way that she was able to use composition so eloquently in that book, inside of a square, because a square is really a challenging format to kind of so to do something other than just people sitting in the middle. And then the other one is um, Nick Knight's first book. Um, I don't know that it had a title, but it was a big purple purple velvet color, and I had been a fan of his for years. 
um, because I like Nick Knight because he's so adventurous with the kind of images that he makes and the techniques that he begins to push out uh, on his images. I think one of the first books that I encountered in college was was um, that first Emmett Gowan book, and and I was so stunned that someone would be making pictures of family in this way that that they were both very revealing and and at the same time um, really touching, really very very. Uh, um, uh, generous with with this ability to use photography in in this way that wasn't wasn't technical at all except the pictures were beautiful they were so well made so beautifully composed um, also there's a there's an there's a an early Lee Freelander book that um, stunning uh, I can't remember what it's called but it's his shadow um, on on the desert floor. And I was so struck by that book, both by the photography and the design, because Freelander seems to be a person that never makes the same picture twice, and that that there's a there's a design sense in this book that makes the work all flow together in this remarkable rhythm and poetry and and, and connection, and and Lee certainly has that in in his career, but. The books really struck me as being the the way to see this work, not not necessarily one picture at a time, but as it was collected together. And and I think one of the more phenomenal things I've seen in my life was the original Americans by Frank, but then most recently the the annotated version, the 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 expanded version of the Americans and. This book is is probably four inches thick, but deservedly so. It really unpacks a lot of the process, a lot of the things that that explain how a book is made, how how a body of work has a has a life of its own. So, what what makes a book special in your eyes? When you take a look at certain, you both. Have, have buy a lot of books, and and you <laughs> and you see a lot of books that have exceptional imagery, mm-hmm. very talented people, mm-hmm. but you don't get that experience that we we're just talking about. So, I, I I know it's kind of a hard question to ask, but what not, what not, not really hard question because th- there's a book is a, it's its own world it's its own universe it has its own sense of gravity and, and orbit and order and there's something really enjoyable about about leaping into somebody else's world about about exploring the way someone else sees and that that as as my life is um, um, consists of a lot of common things that, that I get up I take a shower I get to work I do everything that everybody else does. The book transports me to another place, a place that I actually love living in. It is even even if it's troubling work, it informs or it or or it changes my consciousness about about something that I don't know about or something that I see every day that 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 is deepened by seeing somebody who sees it more more I'm not going to say intelligently, but but I truthfully more poetically. Mm. They're they're able to when a when a collection of work 
finally makes it to publication, it's gone through so many different eyes and so many different filters that most of the time even a bad book has something to say. It just may be that that's something to say is not to you or, or to me. But, I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about about books is that it allows for diversity of voice. So that's why you have all these different publishers who find some body of work of interest to their particular audience. For me, it's, it's you know, the, the books that I buy are, are content-driven. I do pick up some more than, more than others, um, and part of that's driven by my mood or by what I need to show inside of a classroom to other students or, or, whole, or whole, a whole host of things. But my initial purchase of that book is because there's something uniquely beautiful about it that resonates with, with me. And, and I know that it's not going to you know, resonate with everybody. I know that I have some books that I keep high up on my shelves or I kept high up on my shelves because I didn't want my kids to see them because I knew the content was not appropriate for them. But there was something about the work that made me go, this is really interesting. It's disturbing. Um, I wouldn't make those pictures, but there's something that's captivating, captivating me visually that makes me want to hold on to them and, and refer to them on, on, on occasion. So what makes you guys want to delve into book publishing? I know you have a lot. <laughs> I know you love books, but this publishing is, 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 is a landmark, especially now. It's, 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 uh, it's a difficult business to be in. This is a new renaissance, though. We're seeing the end of one thing and the beginning of something new, something we've never seen before. It's a new time, a tech, largely driven by, by technology. And, and you can trace the, the advances of technology that have led to to book publishing as it is now, when you think of going back to, you know, the 80s when the Macintosh and desktop publishing with all this PageMaker and Quark and, and all that kind of stuff, and then just the birth of how many new magazines there were, because that technology had been democratized enough that a lot of people could get in and play and explore with, with a whole bunch of different ideas. Then you, you move up to digital, digital cameras and the ability for people to make a lot of pictures cheaply and that some of those people found a real passion with making pictures and embarked upon a career making making pictures. Um, and then they need to be able to put them out there and, and share them with people. So you had platforms that were built, but people still tend to come back to a three-dimensional photographic book because there's a permanence there that is different than the digital permanence that lives on some cloud somewhere. And... A typical book has gone through some sort of um, process or evaluation or, 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 or someone has confirmed its relevance in some kind of way, right? Otherwise, it, it, no one would, you know, well, I, I take that back. When you get into um, printing on demand, it's a whole different kind of thing because anybody can think that the book is of value. But the typical publishing process is one where someone's putting some value on, on that work. And, and so all those things get attached to what people feel books to mean to, to them. And so we've seen the explosion of books all over the place. Our, our interest in it comes from the place of, one, because we love books. We'd love to have more books, although we may not have enough space in our you know, respective <laughs> homes or offices to have all the books that we would want. But also seeing that there were some some fundamental flaws in terms of the publishing model that we wanted to try and correct. And so that's what we kind of worked on. And, and this is a new time with new things to say. Nobody makes a book by accident. The, the, the intentionality be, behind 
the process, there were there's been no trouble finding people that want to publish. It's 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 something that um, authors, photographers, um, they they are geared to do. Um, not everybody wants to make a book. Um, it's very difficult to make a book. Um, but there are things that need to be said today about about this culture, about about this time, that have never been said before, and and we're we're really seeing evidence of that. That that so that these books are not books for forty thousand people by intention, so that we can create a model that that really identifies. Um, the people that really want to to delve into a new subject or see something from a new way or or follow an an artistic vision down a a new path to make a book available for um uh, uh starting with a small amount of people is something that publishing's never been able to do before and it's something that we can do and expand on that, okay that's one of the points i want to address is a lot of people listening are not really familiar with the nature of, of book publishing, especially with respect to photo books. And Everard, you mentioned before that there are some certain things about that system that are problematic. Mm-hmm. So briefly explain what you saw in the existing publishing industry that you felt was problematic, that Acuity provided an option and a solution for, for others who wanted to express their work in, in the form of a book. So I would expand that just um, just a little bit to say that one of the things that we recognized very early on was just the proliferation of images on the web or just in terms of how people make pictures. Um, and knowing that there's so much stuff out there, how do you begin to f- surface or make or find things that are of any real significance or importance to you is almost impossible. Unless you have someone beginning to point you in the right direction of, I've been looking at this work, or it it came up in my Facebook feed or on my Flickr feed or whatever, and and seeing that that stuff is really interesting, and you might want to look at it too. So we knew that we needed to come up with a way to find really interesting projects to show. Um, the other part was just looking at the the purity of the of the the economics of of publishing, especially an illustrated book of photography or painting or illustration. Those are the most demanding books to ever make because the quality required of reproduction of the of the of the artwork. As De- Dennis and I are, are artists, and we you know we're super picky about how our prints are represented or when we make our own prints. And, and we make the same assumption with all other artists that they're going to be super picky about the, about the reproduction quality of their work. And because of that, the, the, the process becomes really expensive to, to make. And, and, and publishing is, I equate publishing in the traditional sense very much like um, a venture capital might invest in a, what they hope will be some huge success. There's a lot of upfront money that gets put into play. But you have no idea whether you're going to sell enough books to break even or make any profit. So there's the acquisition of the materials that you'll need to pay for, what you're going to publish. There's the design of that book that you need to that you need to pay for. There's the 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 paper that you need to pay for, the binding, the printing, then the then the 
warehousing and distribution and all those things add a bunch of layers inside of book publishing that, you know, when you don't know what the final outcome or how successful that book will be, um, it, makes it makes it a difficult position, um, difficult decision for publishers to have to make. So <laughs> we're being serenaded as we speak. Um, and then the other part is, just added to that, is that um, since you don't know how many books you're going to sell, often um, a typical run of art books sells less than the run that you published. So if you sell 50% of your 1,000 your, your, your editions, that means it's 500 books are sitting somewhere, be it in a warehouse or under your bed or in your garage or all those kind of places. And even though those things are already printed and paid for, there's a cost attached to that as well. So when we started thinking about what we would want to do, besides finding really great work and uncovering that, it was, you know, how can we use, a, build a system that would address those things as well so that it could be much more sustainable. Some of the things that we saw in publishing were about um, uh, artists being left with a thousand books sitting in their garage, and that that as that work became older and older, they become worth less and less. Um, as publishers would put people's work into uh, um, uh, bigger and bigger discounts, uh, artists would make less money. Um, we, we also saw that 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 we could disrupt the system by looking at work that was already ready to go, was was really complete. Bodies of work that artists make because they complete these projects. It's what they do. Um, what books were lacking upon release was a kind of um, uh, authentication, a sense of, of, of importance. And, and we thought we would include the this curator as a as a person who who wouldn't do a critical analysis of the work but would introduce the work as something that they found important and so that these books would become something that um, someone would value as as an object as as something that that was a um, a an, an explanation of a place and a time and a, and a moment and and that we wouldn't be storing a thousand books. We wouldn't have a thousand books sitting in a warehouse or, or in my garage, but that we would be able to um, satisfy people's curiosity about owning a book and that, that we could print these in, in, in sort of a hy hybrid publishing model um, a number at a time to fulfill people's requests and that the, the books then could stay available for a lot longer. Um, the other part is I, I, if you look at a, a traditional publishing as some sort of filter, the big filter is always um, a financial and marketing outlook on whether that book is going to be viable in the market so that they're not left with a bunch of remainders, which can have an adverse effect on the types of books that they publish the kind of risks that they take when they you know, choose a book for publication because they may not feel that there's an, art, an audience large enough for them to make a specific print run. Mm -hmm. 
And so what our model allows us to do is to be more diverse in terms of the books that we begin to consider or our curators begin to consider because we're not locked into the the old the older model of 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 printing at a particular quantity to get the cost of the books down but having a, you know not knowing whether we're going to sell them or not so um uh when we when we realized that we had that ability to add that level of diversity then we started thinking about how do we really explode diversity um so that it wasn't just Dennis Dennis's voice or my voice making a choice as to the validity of a book or, or, or core books, but that there were people of significance and note that were making those decisions and that those decisions would be attached directly to those people making those decisions, but that we would rotate those people in terms of their decision-making and give a lot of other people opportunities to make decisions about books so that when we have a catalog and you look at the catalog, you would see a diversity of books so that a lot of things are represented and that a lot of communities would be able to find books to their liking because we took the risk of, of making them. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. I discover a few of the photographers that I interview for the show by discovering them on Flickr, Tumblr, or 500px. And as wonderful as the images are on those sites, the next thing I want to do is visit their website. It's there where I get to appreciate more than just a single image. I get to discover the entirety of their work and get a fuller experience of their own photographic vision. That's why I think it's so important to have a website and Squarespace allows you to create one that does you and your work justice. If you haven't had the opportunity to see how your body of work looks when presented on a professionally produced website, you have a great opportunity to do that today. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14-day free trial. You don't need a credit card, just create an account and go for it. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. To provide people understanding in terms of how your your press is different, let's break this down into um, being, into three sections. Okay. First, let's deal with the process of uh, acquiring, you know, content. How sure. you filter it, how you, as you said, sort of curate it. Secondly, uh, let's talk about the editing and the design, mm-hmm. and then finally the the sales and, and the marketing of the book. So, if you can, the beginnings of this, um, we found that the the conversations we were having with curators were really fascinating that that they that they knew about work um and and saw trends happening in in making work not necessarily in publishing but in in how artists are making work these days that have not really been well represented in publishing so as we contacted curators and asked them what they would be interested in seeing um, no shortage of people um, wanting to participate in a process where 
they would put out a call for submissions for for ideas um, and that that artists would respond to that and that the, the the curator would pick a certain percentage of those people that they thought were ready to to, to publish um, so it's it's not Everard and I making decisions about about which books to publish it's it's about people who are already in this field really making decisions about about the 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 value of what they're seeing being made and that that they would would really authenticate that work so it's not um publishers saying this is the greatest book in the whole world it's it's people that have already established themselves as as people regard as having having great taste um and great great knowledge and great great education in this and we also know that these are the people that artists want to contact. They want to be in in contact with these people. Gave us a great way to make those connections, to to help facilitate those. That that okay. So you made a book. Um, a, a curator didn't pick it, but they've looked at the work. They've seen. They you are now a known person to them, and and it's a great opportunity to connect curators back to new work. Yeah. Ever could you explain how that, that how that's going to work in, in terms of people submitting work and it getting in the hands of certain curators? How what the, what the mechanics of that sure, are going to be? Sure the mechanics are are fairly straightforward. Um, our our the hand that Dennis and I have in this is that we really want to find really great important curators to begin to look at the work as a method of of establishing that this, there's a really high level of selection that goes into the books that re, that we represent. Um, so we would, with the curator, um, announce a call for entries. Um, people that have bodies of work that they think are book-worthy would submit those that body of work for review. Um, and the curator would take all that work in that was submitted and would begin to evaluate the work that he thought was was appropriate for a book and 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 then make a decision as to this is the kind of the the yes pile and this would be the pile that's not quite ready yet once once he's established that um and that's in the time for submission is closed and he's established what is the work that he wants to support two things happen um we ask the curator to begin to consider um a short essay that Dennis talked about earlier, which is in response to the work, but really begins to articulate why that work is, is of some importance and why you might want to take note of it, um, kind of as a small a small and brief forward. And, and then the other thing that, that Dennis and I thought was really critically important and something that I think um, is, is who's, the emphasis is not placed enough on is is the element of design and the importance that design plays on the making of a book. Um, sometimes the book can be overly designed and it becomes about the design and not about the content. Um, but we really want the books to have a really strong foundation because what we have seen in our own personal experiences and the books that we like is that when you get the union of the content creator and the, and the designer collaborating together to make a final product, that it's raised to a level that neither the artist by themselves or the designer by themselves could have ever achieved by themselves. And then part of that greatness of that book is because of the union of those two. 
So once the curators made that decision as to the groups of people or the people that are going to make it to that next round, Acuity Press guarantees that we're going to publish the book and we'll source the designers, quality designers, to make sure that those pu books are, are published and designed. And each artist will get a unique designer to work with so that that relationship is exclusive between those two. So it's not a template. We really want these books to have their own kind of voice and vision, but that's because of a relationship that happens with the artist and the designer. Once, the, once that happens, um, then they've got a final electronic document with all the images in place and all that kind of stuff that we then send to our printer, who then prints it with the same quality and care that you might find in a regular, a, a beautifully done fine art book uh, with a, a great binding that's long lasting and not you know, just glued together. Um, and taking all those kinds of things in, in, into consideration and, and producing a small batch of beautifully made fine art books. Um, and so we consider ourselves kind of the microbrewery of, of publishing. We're not print on demand because the, the quality that we expect and the quality that we produce demands that we do things in batches of, of books that are, that are small but allow us to, it's far too expensive to do them as one-offs. But um, we don't have all the other um, baggage that is with a, with a traditional publisher. So, we, so we're not making a thousand books all, all at once. We're doing them in small batches. All, all our books will be printed by one printer, bound by one person, um, all with, the, with a, an expectation of quality that we've, we've actually already established with them. So that, so that the, the mechanics of the printing, it won't be farmed out to six different presses. It, it'll all be done on one, in one place by, by someone we've spoken to um, at length about the quality that, that we want to establish. When it, when it goes on our site, um, it'll be available there. Um, we don't see uh, pushing these things out to Amazon. We don't see discounting them at, 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 that, at that juncture. Um, we think people will go to the Acuity site to search out books that are unusual, books that are uh, um, not available um, in the thousands, and that and that they'll be buying something that when we started we talked about the 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 reading of a book is like moving into somebody else's world. We want we really want to establish that sense of of um, specialness. And, and we think we can do that by moving through curatorial first and, and looking at creating an experience that it's already validated by the time it, it gets to the design process. The design process will be respectful of both the work, the, the, the idea that the curator has about the work, and that, that it results in this thing that's a, a reading experience. It's a... It's a, it's a it's not a show. It's 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 really a um, a much more intimate experience. How, how do we? I just just real quick. I just want to kind of go back. And Dennis made um, a comment about Amazon and that we weren't looking to use Amazon as like this distribution hub. And and there's a really important reason for that. Um, we're looking to sell these things at a full price of a book, not discounted by Amazon. And because. We've simplified the model enough that if we do that, we can give more money back to the artist and designer. So uh, without the artist and designer, we wouldn't have this beautiful piece of content. Um, and we want them to be rewarded for their efforts. 
Um, and so we've built a model that allows us to kind of compensate them at a, at a higher rate than they would in a typical publishing model. And that means that we, we don't really think that discounting is of, of value. As much as you and I may love available light, there are times when flash or strobe is required. But if you're like me, you don't necessarily want to get into the complexity or the cost of a strobe system. Often a speed light can provide you everything you need. But to get beyond the look of built-in flash, a light modifier like the Sabre Strip allows you to move far beyond the harsh, unflattering look of an on-camera flash. The Sabre Strip's lightweight tubular design allows you to use your existing speed light to create a beautiful quality of light for both indoors and out. The quality of the light is ideal for portraits, close-up work, and so much more. Whether you handhold it or secure it on a light stand, it's easy to position to get the look you're hoping for. Dis discover for yourself how the Sabre Strip can transform your lighting by visiting their site at saberstrip.com. There you can see examples of what this special light modifier can do. And when you order, remember to use the offer code TCF1 to receive your 10% discount. Sabre Strip, the evolution of small flash. But how do you deal with the, the initial production costs in terms of leading up to the actual printing of the, of, of the book in terms of paying you know, the designer, paying the print shop who's going to be publishing the book. How, how does that work? One of the, one of the ways that works is that they, for the first time in the history of the world, the designer will actually um, be paid a, um, a royalty, will, will actually be compensated um, for each book sold. So that um, they, they will get a, a, probably an initial payment that's probably less than what they would get. But as these books sell, they will be paid um, for the life of the, the edition. Um, so that's a first. The second is that, that the author will also get paid a, a higher royalty, but we think we can cover the, the print costs from the submission price, from, from the opportunity that people have in putting their work before a curator is worth something when we, when we see the amount of uh, portfolio reviews that are that are um, flooding the country um, and the price that people are paying to get their work in front of um, any number of peoples this is really a, a much more um, serious um, uh, connection this is a this is a, a body of work that that an artist will be really putting in front of somebody that can that can move it right into publishing, not just a, uh, a response to the work, not, not just a uh, um, very nice work uh, next. So let's talk about that. Say someone has a body of work that they want to submit to it. It doesn't necessarily get picked to be the, the book. Um, what benefit should those people consider that they're going to be receiving and contributing as a result of participating in this I will say this, that, that as an artist myself, as I create bodies of work, until I take the risk of submitting it somewhere, um, it really doesn't have much value. It really sits in, in my house. I show it to people that I like. Um, they like me. They tell me it's great work. And, and within that small circle, 
um, I see. I, I feel very validated, and and whereas the the amount of people that could submit to a to a nationally or internationally known curator might be greater than than what you would see at a portfolio review. There's no um, nothing's going to happen to this work until you submit it. What I will say is that. The rejection from this is is not not permanent. It it doesn't mean that you know your work is worthless. It it means that it didn't make it this time. It means that um, you could submit it to another curator. You could submit it to um, uh, you could change it and submit it again. There's there's no there's no locks on these doors. Um, I, I will say that that without. These portfolio reviews have have less value than um, what we're offering. It's it's it is you have a really good chance if you're making work that's book worthy. There's a really good chance that your work will be picked. It's 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 about ambition. It's about looking at that what books are valuable and and where you started with the first questions. Books are a known, known, known value in our world. Um, when I make work that, that I think is going to turn into a body of work, hard for me not to think about Freelander, hard for me not to think about Frank, hard for me not to think about all the books that I've ever seen. And where does my work fit in in that world of books? And, and as a teacher, I might have a better idea of, of what that universe looks like. But when it comes down to me personally, if I don't risk showing the work, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Um, if I don't submit my work for for consideration, I have a hundred percent chance of not being picked. And as soon as I take those risks and start feeling those feelings and submitting my work to to really authentic competitions or 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 places where my work can be seen along others, until it happens, um, nothing happens. And I'm just going to go back and just, you know, Dennis talked about um, that if a particular curator doesn't select that work at that time, I, I think one of the uniquenesses of our, our of what we what we're building is that when we do another contest, it will be another curator, and that other curator will have a different viewpoint on what what he or she recognizes as valuable. And so it presents another opportunity for an artist who may not have had the success of the last, the last submission to re-engage and submit again with the hopes that this person or this curator will respond to the work in the way that they feel about, about the work and, 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 its, and, its, and its importance. I want to add one really controversial thing here, and that is that Everard and I have argued for more than a year about publishing works that we don't like. That that as a curator would pick a work that, that I don't agree with, would I publish it? And and I'm gonna tell you that I didn't go to this place kindly or nicely <laughs> or or uh, conveniently or in a timely fashion. It's something that Everard and I have argued out with with both respectful disagreement and 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 non-respectful and, and non-respectful <laughs> disagreement, but 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 I am convinced that yes, I would publish something that a curator found value in that I didn't agree with because I think that that's uh, 
that's something that's really quite honest and missing in in this world that that it is it's not their opinion it is really their informed judgment it's their it's it's their critical angle on work that that they find value in it and and i would have to say that i would i would have to i might respectfully disagree with that but I would have to validate that decision. That that is something that I really do believe in in terms of education, in terms of moving this model forward. It's it's that that's one of its best attributes. And I think it's in that respectful disagreement that a lot of interesting things happen in terms of additional dialogue that might happen once once bodies of work or a series of books are are, are published that um we were really curious about seeing and what happens with that in, in the in the future. I I hope that um, that we see some work that I might not necessarily have 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 picked. Um, but as the curator is also responsible for not just the identification of that work, but for articulating why he or she thought that work was of, of some relevance, then we can open up what that clarity is and 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 whether you're on either side might be able to gain a little bit more knowledge about why that work might be significant. And that, I think that only allows for the medium of photography to grow. You know, without those kind of healthy dialogues, you know, um, it's very easy for medium life photography to become stagnant. And as passionate as Dennis and I are about, about photography, um, it's the last thing that we want is, is the stagnation of a, such a beautiful medium. Well, tell me about the first book that you guys are releasing. So the first book is by a Southern California artist named Brad Moore. Brad Moore um, makes beautiful urban landscape pictures, and I would say Baltz would be certainly a, a, a reference. An influence, yes. Yeah, um, and they're beautiful, and they're in color. They're quirky. They're really sophisticated observations about a part of Southern California that most people drive right by. And, you know, for me, I, I know that I respond to, in particular, to people who can see things that I walk right by. It, it may piss me off that I didn't see it, but I respond to the fact that there's something about their vision, their sensitivity, um, that makes that the strong enough observation that they're willing to make a photograph of it, and that, and that becomes important. Brad is a, an acutely aware wanderer. Um, I, I know that all these pictures are from incredibly common places, but when you speak to him, they are very specific locations. He he has, has a very narrow criteria for what looks like a picture for him, and and that comes through. Uh, it's the reason it's a great book is because it comes through in that in that page after page reinforcement of that. There's a there's a there's a a path through this thing. This book has a remarkable beginning, a, a really rich middle, and a, and a, and a fantastic end. Um, read photo books like I read all books, which is that really the beginning is this this introduction to a world that that is fascinating. The the middle is this quality of information about something that that enriches me forever and and the finish is the memory i have for, of of this work the memory i have of of what did i retain from it and and his book fulfilled all those 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 dreams actually 
And uh, the essay was written by Tyler Stallings, who was uh, the curator at the Riverside Museum. And and he did something that we also just only could hope for. And, and that was he wrote a response to his world that 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 creates a code into into Brad's world. It gives you a a sense of what you might look for when you're looking at the work. It's a it's a really beautiful poetic essay. Yeah. It's a really it's a great thing of the moment. And what I love about Tyler is that he said he's never been asked to write anything like this. That he writes all the time. He said nobody's ever actually asked me to write something that was just so simple and 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 actually fun. Hmm. I, I think it was it was Dennis who really kind of directed that the writing component of it, and and when he told me that he wanted people to write in response to the work, I didn't quite know what that was, but when he described it as as an entry point for people to look at the work, that is not something about criticism or a deep analysis of, not that there aren't deep statements inside, inside mm-hmm. the work, that you saw that you, we could begin to make a book that engaged people not only because of the visual um, complexities of the work inside, but that they would have access to an understanding of that work in a way that wasn't referenced in a lot of history and, and all that kind of stuff, which in some ways becomes a turnoff for, for, for people when they're, when they're looking at, these, at, at some of these books. And so we wanted to kind of begin to make a, a, a different approach so that a larger cross-section of, of book, book lovers would have access to the work in a different way. Uh, well, I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. Um, well, my last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them my to... My favorite re- color? <laughs> I ask them to uh, <laughs> recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone. It can be someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? There's a photographer that many people might already know. And 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 it's an, it's an interesting connection, but... but I always recommend uh, um, Daniel Martinez, and 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 Daniel is a both an artist and a photographer and a and a disruptor and a and a and a controversial figure. And and um, every time I think of what a quote regular picture looks like, and I and I look at the work that he's made over decades. I just can't help but love this work. I can't help but love the 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 different path that he has taken through art and through photography. And and it always reminds me that what what I think people are doing with cameras and and life and and in and out of the studio and in and out of politics there's always a third space. And and Daniel really interrogates that third space it's it's always somewhat disturbing and 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 i like that i really and we don't put enough value in that so uh two weeks ago um dennis and i were at arcana for um, a book signing by mona kuhn and while we were you know going through line getting our book signed um Oh, and Arcana is a is a art bookstore in in Los, Los Angeles over in Culver City. 
I came across a book of food photography and um, I opened the book and I had never seen food photography that beautiful. I mean, I've seen a lot of food photography and there's food photographers that I actually like. Um, and so I bought the book and everywhere I can, I'm referring my students to who are interested in food or still life to take a look at the book for its simple elegance and composition of the food, but more importantly, how he merged the uniqueness of the presentation of the food with a quality of light that was very hard to describe but was completely captivating. I had never seen it before. And I don't think that he's inventing anything new, but he's, he's, he's tweaking something that, and, and doing it in a different way. Um, and I had never heard of this guy before at all. His name is uh, Jose Luis Lopez de Zubriria, Z-U-B-I-R-I-A, and the work is phenomenal. And inside that, there were also portraits of the people making the food and plating the food, and those are equally as beautiful and compelling, completely contrasted by uh, the color work, because the people, the, the, the portraits were, were black and white, and, but the food photography was, was this beautiful, rich, minimalist color that was just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, where can people go to find out about Acuity and, and find out uh, about more about the submission process and the books that you guys are going to be publishing? Well, AcuityPress.com, A-C-U-I-T-Y Press.com was our website. Um, and we're going to be making an announcement at the beginning of, of, uh, of April about an, an, a, a separate uh, um, submission contest. We're doing a collaboration with Photo District News um, and we'll be producing a book out of that collaboration with them um, that is exclusively about street photography that we will release in the f- fourth quarter of 2015 this year. So, And curated by Colin Westerbeck. Yes, and curated by Colin Westerbeck of... Co-author of Bystander. Yeah. Co-author of Bystander, exactly. So we're, we're really excited about that. So that's certainly one of the, the big priorities. Um, and we'll be making a big announcement about that in about a five to six weeks, I guess. And, um, but acuitypress.com would, where they, would be where they would go. Wow, fantastic. Awesome. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you, Thank man. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50, or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is the candid frame.